Hi there. I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 89. And today I'm going to be talking about unschool planning. Is there such a thing? Also, saying no. I'd like to return to the topic of deep work and social media. Also, healthy eating. And then there's back to school supplies. Jane Austen and Shakespeare. So I hope I've got time to go through all those topics. I've got rather a lot I want to share with you today. Now I'm wondering what type of week you had. You might remember that last week we were sweltering in the heat. I couldn't open the windows or turn on the fan to keep cool while I was recording my episode because I was worried about the noise getting into my podcast. Well, today, the only noise I have to worry about is the sound of falling rain. Yes, today isn't hot at all. It's a wonderful relief. It was cool yesterday as well. We are enjoying these couple of cool days because the heat is returning tomorrow. The next four days are probably going to be very hot, probably very humid as well after all this rain. We are thankful for some rain. I went for a walk yesterday down to the bush tracks with Nora. It wasn't actually raining at the time, but it had been raining all morning, and there were puddles everywhere and a wonderful smell. Of earthy smell. Everything was brown or green, and the dog walked along with her nose up, sniffing everything. Lovely smells in the air. It was really beautiful. Something else had happened yesterday before I took that walk with the dog. About midday, we lost power to our house. It was just before lunchtime. We were beginning to think about what we were going to have for lunch. Think about putting the kettle on for a cup of tea. And yes, suddenly we had no power. Imogen got her phone out, did some googling, and yes, confirmed that our village was without power. Our first thought was, what are we going to have for lunch? How are we going to survive lunch without a cup of tea? All our bread was in the freezer. We couldn't eat frozen bread for lunch. And yes, we were all longing for a cup of tea. It didn't take me very long to suggest that we all get in the car and drive to town. Go and find some lunch. Stop by at the shopping centre and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Well, the girls thought this was a wonderful idea, especially as we had no internet, so everybody's work had been interrupted and we had no idea when we could get back to work. So we decided that, yes, we would go to town, have a lunch break. Hopefully by the time we returned, the power would be back on. We got to town. We found out that a lot of other people were at the shops. All the tables in the food court in the shopping centre were full. What were we to do? So a couple of us went into the supermarket and I bought some fresh rolls, some fillings such as pastrami, some cheese, some yoghurt. A couple of the girls went to the Donut King and ordered some coffee and a milkshake for Gemma Rose. And then we all met up again, got back in the car, and we drove down to the lake. We were going to have a picnic. Fortunately, there was a break in the rain, so we walked to a picnic table that was under a shelter. 
spread all our food out, and we had a wonderful impromptu picnic. There was hardly anybody else down at the lake. I suppose they were all at the shopping centre. Nobody wanted to go for a walk on such a wet day. But it was lovely out there. It was cool for the first time in days. It has been a very hot summer, and it isn't over yet. January was the hottest January on record. But I'm not going to turn this into a weather story. I want to turn it into a joy story. Do you remember a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about how we can find ways to make as many moments in our children's lives as joyful as possible. Look out for special things that we can do with our children. Don't be afraid of saying yes. I never say things perfectly when I'm recording a podcast because I just make a few notes. I don't write things out word for word. And later when I was listening to that episode, I wondered if people think that we never do any work. We're always going to the cinema, going on a picnic, watching movies together at home, drinking coffee, sitting around chatting all day. All these things are good things to do, and they all teach us something. But it doesn't mean that we don't work hard at other times. Yes, life isn't one long, lazy day. We all know how to work, and we do. But, saying that, there is lots and lots of time for the fun things in life. Just relaxing and being. Enjoying each other's company. And that's what we did yesterday on the picnic. We didn't expect to go on a picnic. We didn't expect the power to go out. But we took advantage of that moment. We went down to the lake enjoyed ourselves. The only thing was we didn't take a camera with us because we weren't expecting to go on a picnic. That led me to this thought. If we don't take photos and tell people about what we're doing on Facebook, did it really happen? We get so used to documenting our lives. I can be quite a nuisance with my cameras sometimes. We go on a picnic or another outing, and of course I point my camera at everything, at everyone. And sometimes my kids say, hey mom, do we have to have any more photos? And I say, only one more, I want some for my blog or for Facebook, whatever. And sometimes it's good to leave the camera at home, not to document everything, but just to live in the moment and enjoy the moment for what it is. Because sometimes I think we do get distracted by the camera, by thoughts of later on sharing our photos, how are we going to tell this story. I didn't do any of that yesterday, but of course today I am telling the story. But yes, I do think there is a point to the story. But I didn't let this story intrude on our enjoyment of the picnic that we had yesterday. We just soaked in the coolness soaked in each other's company, enjoyed that hour or so of time together, and then we came home hoping that the power would be restored. It wasn't actually restored when we walked through the door. We still had half an hour or so to wait before the power came back on, and we were able to get back onto the internet, start work again. While I was waiting, I took Nora for that walk down the bush tracks and enjoyed a little bit more of the cool day.
talking of putting things on Facebook, documenting our lives. I want to return just briefly to the topic of social media and deep work. You might remember that I was telling you about a book by Cal Newport called Deep Work. And in the book, he talks about how we are distracted by so many things today, including social media, that these things draw us away from doing deep work. We have lost our ability, well, most of us, to concentrate, to focus deeply. A lot of our work is very shallow. And maybe we don't do as good work as we are capable of. So I've been thinking about this. And I have actually deactivated my personal account on Facebook. I have a second Facebook account, which I'm using to administer my Facebook page, Stories of an Unschooling Family. So I still have a Facebook page at the moment. I'm just seeing how that goes. I haven't quite finished reading Deep Work. I'm on the last part, maybe 75% through the Kindle book which is quite good going for me, because usually I give up on books about the 40% mark. I get distracted by another one. Start a new book, leave the one that previously I couldn't wait to read. But yes, I am making myself finish this book. Well, it's actually quite a compelling book, and I'm enjoying it immensely, and I'm finding it very useful, so I will finish this book before I pass on to a new one. When I was talking about deep work before the book, I pondered the question, do we need social media? How will people find out about our work if we're not on social media? And I read a section about this yesterday in Deep Work. I previously shared how Cal Newport said that if we're doing good work, people will find out about it. Quite a challenge. But how do we know if we're doing good work? Sometimes people like our posts because we like theirs. I like yours, you like mine. Mutual sharing. So sometimes mutual likes and shares and even the page views on our blogs aren't always an indication of whether our work is good or not. Cal Newport suggests that we not deactivate our Facebook accounts and our Twitter accounts, but Stop using social media for 30 days. Just quietly slip away and see if anybody notices. After 30 days, we might find that nobody is visiting our blogs. Nobody is listening to our podcasts. And I've experienced a bit of this, I think, with my move from blogger to WordPress. Is my work that I'm doing not good enough for people to come and search out? It's a sobering thought. Do people come to my blog to read my blog posts and do they listen to my podcasts as an act of friendship? Which is really lovely thought. But is what I'm doing making a difference? But we do things for different reasons. We might blog just because we want to share things with friends. And I think that's quite legitimate to have a group of friends who are all following each other's blogs I like visiting some of my friends' blogs and keeping up with what's going on in their lives. Yes, that's good. Or we can blog for ourselves. To sort out our own thoughts, to ponder ideas, to learn about the art of blogging or podcasting. I've done that before too. That is how this podcast began. 
it was a bit of a challenge. I wanted to find out how to do it. Having listeners didn't really bother me at the beginning. But also, we can do work for other people. And I guess this is where I've got to. I want to do something that's meaningful for others, to help other people. I sort of got past the stage of wanting to do things for myself. And it can be good to know whether what we're doing is making a difference. Because if it isn't, then maybe it's time to go looking for something that we can do that will make a difference in the lives of other people. These are just some of the thoughts that have been going around my head. On to something completely different. Healthy eating. We have been thinking about our diet recently because my daughter Sophie, who is 15, has developed an intolerance to dairy products. She can no longer drink milk. She tries to avoid butter and cheese. Sometimes when things like this happen, it makes us stop and think about what we are eating as a family. And I would say that we spend quite a lot of time thinking about our health. I talked about exercise last week. I've also talked in a previous podcast about how we became a sugar-free family. So we do think about the things we are buying, the things that we are cooking. I sometimes think that if we are going to spend a lot of time getting fit, then we should also watch what we're putting into our bodies. We need good fuel. But we can become lazy. Things can slip into old patterns. We buy a finger bun at the shops one day, and it becomes a habit every time we go down to the shops. We might buy a bag of sugar to make some old family favorite that we haven't tasted in a long time, and all of a sudden we're looking for other recipes to use that bag of sugar up, and we slip back, as I said, into old habits. Sophie has been talking about healthy eating quite a lot recently because of her intolerance. And I've been listening to her, thinking about what she's saying. And I actually went out and bought a new cookbook. I think it's called the Women's Weekly Healthy Cookbook. Something like that. A $10 one from the newsagent. And we had a good time looking at all the photos of delicious looking food. Looking at the ingredients. Could we make this? Could we make that? And Imogen has been cooking us some different meals. It's really livened up our meal times. Maybe we need to buy a new recipe book every now and then, however good our eating habits are. Yes, it does liven up dinner time. I have a cat allergy story. We have three cats. Poppy, Jenny, and Sammy. Now, Sammy used to be a very healthy, fat cat. I'm sure he used to eat his food and half of the other cat's foods as well. He grew to an enormous size. And then about a year and a half ago, all of a sudden his fur started falling out. His tail started to look like a pipe cleaner. There was no hair around his eyes, his big eyes staring out of a face with no hair. We took him to the vet because he was covered in scabs. And the vet said that he had developed an allergy and he recommended that he be put on a special diet. And so we ordered some special food, which is rather expensive. 
but what can you do? So Sammy has been eating his meals away from the other cats, a special diet, an expensive diet, and it has helped to a certain extent. He still hasn't got much hair on his face around his eyes, but his tail grew back a bit. But the biggest thing we noticed was that he lost a lot of weight. Now he is a reasonable-sized cat, but he still has a big appetite. Now what he's been doing is climbing onto the kitchen bench in search of extra food. We have a few buckets on the kitchen bench next to the sink where we put all the food that we're going to compost. Things like tea bags, vegetable peelings. When our backs are turned, Sammy will jump up onto the kitchen bench and go looking for food in the compost bins. The other day I went to town with Charlotte and Gemma Rose. We left Imogen at home. She was in her bedroom with the door closed. When we got home, I opened the door with my key and I came along the hall and we met the cat. We met Sammy. And he had the compost bin lid stuck around his neck. It's one of those swing lids. He stuck his head through the swing lid and got it stuck. Evidence that he had been on the kitchen bench eating the compost. He looked rather pathetic. He'd got caught. Of course, he wanted to be rescued. Every time Sammy gets into the compost bins, he develops more scabs because, of course, he's eating the wrong food. But it's his own fault. I don't know whether we feel sorry for him or not, especially when he goes stealing the compost. But we are sorry for Sophie. She has had to give up a lot of her favourite foods. But one thing that we can make for her is a chocolate tart. I have a wonderful recipe. Well, it isn't actually my recipe. It comes from the I Quit Sugar website. It can be made gluten-free, dairy-free, and sugar-free, as long as you use dairy-free chocolate. And I've been buying Whitaker's chocolate, the dark almond variety for Sophie, because this is dairy-free. It's a really simple tart to make. The base has coconut and coconut oil, I think, and then you make up the filling, which has coconut cream, rice malt syrup, the dark chocolate. I'm not sure if there's anything else, maybe vanilla flavoring, but I know that there is no flour and there's no dairy products. Coconut, it seems to be the wonder food. We're putting it in everything. The chocolate tart doesn't taste like a second-rate chocolate tart. It is absolutely delicious. And Andy and I took a chocolate tart to a dinner party that we were invited to last Saturday evening. It was one of those dinner parties where we all get together and we all bring something to share, a dessert or a main course. So I volunteered a dessert and Imogen volunteered to cook it for me. We went to a friend's house. There might have been half a dozen other couples there, old homeschooling friends of ours that we've known for many years. We hadn't got together for a long time, so it was a very special evening. Everybody enjoyed the chocolate tart. I enjoyed the company. I enjoyed talking to people. There was one thing I didn't enjoy, though. The friend lives about an hour's drive away, and it ended up being a late night by the time we'd driven home. It must have been well gone midnight before we got to bed. And then I couldn't sleep. I couldn't turn off. 
I guess I was thinking about the conversations that we had had, hadn't gone through my usual nightly routine. I hadn't wound down. I finally did get to sleep, but then I woke up at five o'clock and I couldn't get back to sleep. So I am guessing that I got at the most four hours sleep that night. We got up on Sunday morning. We went to mass as usual at nine o'clock, got home about 10.30. And then the rest of the day was a washout as far as I was concerned. I was just so tired. I didn't want to do anything. And as I said to Andy, it really was a waste of a day. I lost a whole day because we'd gone out to dinner the previous evening. I ended up moaning. I'm never going to another dinner party. I can't cope with late nights. I don't like how I have lost the whole next day. Of course, I probably will go to another dinner party because if you want to see friends and keep in touch with people, then sometimes it is worth losing a day. But I probably won't do it for a very long time. This story reminds me of when our kids were a lot younger, when we had babies and toddlers and little people in the family, and we'd be invited out in the evening for a party, a big get-together. And not only would I get overtired, so would our children. And the next day used to always be a disaster. Everybody would be irritable, bad-tempered. Yes, we'd lose a whole day. And it got to the point where I did say, no more. We can't go out in the evening. It isn't fair on our family. And it took a lot to get to that decision, so that when people invited us places, I would say, no, we can't come. Because I don't like refusing invitations. I don't want people to feel that we don't want to see them. It's hard to put the needs of ourselves and our families ahead of other people. Sometimes I think that the only legitimate excuse for not going somewhere is a previous engagement. And if I haven't got a previous engagement, I wonder, how am I going to say no? No, we can't come. Well, I've got to the stage where I do say no, as I said, and I don't go into a lot of elaborate excuses. I don't try and make it sound better. I just say a simple, thank you so much for the invitation. Unfortunately, we won't be able to come. And leave it at that. So that's my story about saying no. Should we say no more often? Should we be true to who we are, who our family is? For example, you might know that we are a family of introverts. Going to parties anyway is a big deal for us. It's very energy sapping. A lot of people do like parties. And they go out and they can't wait to get together with other people. They come home feeling wonderful. Yes, it, a party is an uplifting experience for extroverts, but not for us. But should we be true to ourselves or should we pretend that we are extroverted just so that other people don't feel that we don't want to go and be with them? It's a tricky situation. telling you a couple of weeks ago how my school teacher husband has returned to work. This is the second official week of the school term. We were in town a few days before school went back 
and the shops were packed with parents buying back-to-school supplies. Exercise books, pens and paper, pencil cases, backpacks, lunch boxes, drink containers, school shoes, school uniforms, hats, everything. The beginning of a new school year requires a lot of equipment. And on the day when everybody was buying all these things, I did some back-to-school shopping of my own. I went to Officeworks and I bought a swivel chair, one of these nice padded desk chairs with armrests. I bought it for Gemma Rose. I also bought her a bottle of turpentine and some paper stumpers. As we were driving back from the shops, I did say to Andy, these are Gemma Rose's back-to-school supplies. A bit unusual, maybe, but these are the things that she needs right now so that she can work on her passions. And her big passion at the moment is drawing. For her birthday, which was at the end of January, I bought her a big set of Prismacolor pencils, the artist quality pencils, 132 pencils in the set. And when she saw them, wow, she was just so overwhelmed. Her eyes opened really wide. It wasn't what she'd been expecting, but it was what she needed. I am denied before I bought these pencils because they were very expensive. Perhaps I could have just bought some student quality pencils, maybe a set of 36 Fable Castell pencils from the department store, from the supermarket. Maybe she would have been satisfied with those, and I think she would have been satisfied with them, but these pencils have opened up so many more possibilities. As soon as Jimmerose saw them, she said, I'll be able to try all those colouring techniques that are in the dragon book. Dragons. Dragons are her passion at the moment, drawing and colouring dragons. And for Christmas, I bought her a book about colouring in dragons. And it's quite a complicated book. I think it's an adult book. And I didn't realise that you need a lot of shades of the same colour if you want to do some of the techniques. And Gemma said, well, I'll be able to do that now. I've got loads and loads of colours. She's also been looking at a lot of YouTube videos. I found one for her to start with. It was how to use Prismacolor pencils. Because there is a special technique. You have to layer on the colours very gently. Yes, build up the richness of the colour in layers. Not just press down and go for it. That usually ends up with holes in the paper and sore hands. While we were watching one of these Prismacolor videos, we saw somebody using paper stumpers. These are blenders made of paper, a bit like a pencil. Yeah, but made of paper. And you rub the paper stumper over the colours and they blend together. After a bit of googling, I also found out that if you use a bit of turpentine, the Prisma colours will actually melt and the colours will blend even better, like watercolours. So Gemma Rose was anxious to try out these new techniques. That's why I bought her the paper stumpers and the turpentine. And because she's spending a lot of time sitting at her desk, I thought the chair would become in handy as well. Was the chair a luxury? Were the Prismacolor pencils a luxury? 
Maybe our kids need the right tools in order to further their passions. And if we can afford those tools, perhaps it's okay to buy them. I'm sure that Gemma Rose wouldn't be doing so well with her drawing if I hadn't bought her back-to-school supplies. You should see her. She's so excited at the moment about her drawing. She spends hours and hours at her desk trying out new things, watching videos. And when she finishes the picture, she scans it. She sends it to me so I can have a look at it. Yes, she likes sharing her work. I think about the money we would spend if our kids were in school. School fees, school uniforms, all that equipment that they need for the first day of school, all those things they put into their backpack. Later on in the term, money will probably have to be spent on school excursions. I am sure that the money I spend on my children's passions is but a fraction of the money we would spend if they were in school. It's money well spent. So I'm wondering, what back-to-school supplies do you buy? What things do your children need to further their passions? Do you ever feel guilty about spending that money, especially when you're buying an expensive item? You could come over to my Facebook page or stop by my blog. Perhaps you'd like to share. Now to the topic of planning. Planning and unschooling don't seem to go together very well. Unschoolers don't plan anything. They get up each day and they drift through their day doing whatever occurs to them. It's a life of freedom. We don't have to plan anything. We just take everything that happens in our days and use that as a learning experience. And there's a lot of truth to this. We aren't confined by plans, by an artificial routine. We do have a lot of freedom to do what we'd like to do. And maybe making plans takes away some of that freedom. Because how do we know what we want to do tomorrow or next week or next month or next year? We don't know where learning will take us. So it is rather a waste of time to make complicated plans and then feel that we have to stick to those plans. Those plans end up ruling us. So no, planning isn't usually a thing that we do. But I've been thinking about how we can make the most of our time because we don't always drift through our days. Usually everybody in our family has things they're working on. We have goals that we want to fulfill, things that we want to see finished. And if we just drift, I am sure a lot of time will be wasted. Yes, it's nice to sit around and drink coffee and chat and not worry about what everybody else is doing. And we do our fair share of that. But we can't do that all the time. There are certain things in our days the girls have to do, like piano practices, because they want to pass their exams. Exams they choose to do. They have other things they want to do as well. And Sophie was talking about this with me a couple of weeks ago. She now has a casual job. She's working two or three days a week at a cafe and one day Sophie said to me there is so much I want to do and if I don't make any plans I'm not going to get anything done I want to keep up my exercise I have piano practices that I want to do 
I want to read another Shakespeare play. There's other books I want to read. She decided for herself that she needed to write down everything that she would like to do and have a look and see how she could fit everything into her week. Last night when I was reading a chapter of the book, Deep Work, Cal Newport also talked about planning, making the most of our time, so that we do do a lot of deep work, spend time doing things that matter. And so I shared an idea with Sophie over dinner last night. This is the idea, that we get a notebook, a lined notebook, and we write down the hours of the day down one side, maybe half an hour every line, and then we block in what we would like to do the next day. For example, we might know that we're going out to a piano lesson. Right at the moment, while I'm recording this podcast, Imogen is doing a writing circle group meeting with Sophie and Gemma Rose. They could have blocked that in between the hours of 10.30 and 11.30 in the morning. And then if there's certain other commitments, like sometimes I drive Charlotte to town for something, I could block that in. And then think about what else we want to achieve with our day. Maybe half an hour to look at blog comments, visit other people's blogs, spend reading time with Gemma Rose. I might have a blog post I want to write in the afternoon. Perhaps I'll put down an hour or two as writing time. You get the idea. We think about all those things that are important to us, and we work out a way of doing all those things. How are we going to fit them into our day? Now, making a plan, my first thought when I was reading this was, well, if I have a plan, that's constrictive. What if I'm writing a blog post and my time ends and I'm supposed to move on to the next activity? The plan will be ruling my life. I don't like the sound of that at all. And Cal Newport says that the plan has to adapt to us, to our circumstances. If something happens in the morning that we didn't expect, we change our plan. We just go to the plan, we cross out what we were going to do, put something else in its place. If we're working on a writing project and it's taking longer than we expected, we just extend that block of time. We move everything else down a bit. Maybe we take some of what was to come and put it on to the next day's plan. If we're doing something and we are really enjoying it, we're doing some good work. There's no reason why we have to stop just because our plan says it's time to do something different. No, we keep on doing it. We adjust the plan. So he goes to his plan at various points of the day and he makes adjustments. But what he says that a plan does is it keeps him thinking about time in a mindful way. Not letting time slip by without anything being done. Now, of course, little children wouldn't make a plan. I think that I and my older children would benefit from this sort of plan. Usually when I get up in the morning, one of the first questions that Sophie says to me is, What are you doing today, Mum? And I always say, Oh, I don't know. I'll see what happens. And I think maybe this is the wrong idea. Maybe I should be a little bit more decisive about what I want to do. And I should tell her, because there are always things I want to do. Perhaps I should say, well, I would like to write a blog post today. I would also like to finish the book I'm reading. I want to watch a movie with Gemma Rose. List a few things. 
and then she can see that it is good to think about what we want to do in the day. I might share my plan with her. Maybe at the end of the day we could talk about how our plans changed, what we achieved. It's always good talking with other people about what we have done in our day, what we found really enjoyable, what gave us a sense of satisfaction, what our frustrations were, what we still need to work on. I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about planning when we are unschooling. It just depends on the sort of plan and whether we own our plans. Because, of course, I wouldn't write Sophie's plan for her. She wouldn't write mine. We have to freely choose to think about our days and think about the way that we want to spend that day. So I'm spending my time in this block of time before lunch making a podcast. I put that on my plan this morning. Now there's just two more things that I'd like to mention, and they're sort of related. Jane Austen and Shakespeare. I'll start with Shakespeare because that's one of the things that Sophie said she wants to do this term. She wants to read another Shakespeare play. I asked her which one she would like to read, and she said a history one. We've read a fair few history plays. Henry V, Henry VI Part 1, Henry VI Part 2, a couple of other ones as well. I asked Sophie if she had heard of the series The Hollow Crown, a BBC series, and she hadn't heard about it. I haven't watched it myself, but I've seen some trailers, and it looks like a very visually appealing production of three of Shakespeare's plays. The plays are Richard II, Henry IV, Parts 1 and 2, and Henry V. Now, as I said, we've read Henry V, and we have watched a couple of productions of it. Our favorite one is the Kenneth Branagh one. Very uplifting, inspiring performance. I'm sure if you haven't already seen Kenneth Branagh's Henry V, you would enjoy it immensely. So Sophie decided that she would start reading Richard II, with a view to watching The Hollow Crown later on. I suggested also that she could look at LibriVox, see if there is an audio recording of Richard II. Maybe she could listen to it while she's going for a walk or running on the treadmill. There's some good books on LibriVox, even though they are all done by volunteers. Uh, some of them are very, very good. I mean, of course, some are better than others. But there was one reader, one volunteer, Elizabeth Clett, who I like very much indeed. She does all the voices, and there are good voices. Her voices bring alive the novels that she's reading out loud. I've listened to a few of her Jane Austen novels. Yes, Elizabeth Clett. But back to Shakespeare. The Hollow Crown stars quite a few famous British actors. People like Judy Dench, Michael Gambon, there's Hugh Bonneville. Of course, I was talking about Downton Abbey not so long ago. He played Robert Crawley. Other actors, um, Tom Middleston and Benedict Cumberbatch. He gets a raving review. Some big name actors and actresses. Now, I haven't been able to find this series on Netflix or any other streamed service. 
so I might have to go and buy it as a DVD set, but I think it'll be well worth buying. More back-to-school supplies. A little bit more about Jane Austen before I finish. Gemma Rose is reading Emma out loud to me. Every morning, we sit down together, she has the book, and I sit and I do some embroidery. This is something I haven't done for a very long time. I'm doing some red work, working in one colour. Obviously, red. I made a pattern from one of Joanna Basford's drawings, one of her secret garden drawings. The drawing was too big for an A4 sheet of paper, so what I did was I took part of the drawing, I photocopied it, and then I got my light box and a piece of calico, and I transferred the drawing to the calico, and now I'm working it all in a red thread. Sometimes I wonder if it needs a bit of colour, because I saw somebody else had done this, got one of Joanna Basford's drawings, and she had embroidered it in some complex stitches and lots of different colours, and it looked very, very impressive. But my embroidery skills aren't up to that, and I like simple. To sit and embroider in one colour with a couple of simple stitches is good enough for me. I've done quite a bit of work on that in the last couple of weeks while Gemma Rose has been reading Emma to me. I think it will take me a long, long time to finish the whole embroidery though because it's quite big and quite complex, even though the stitches and the colour are simple. There is a lot of flowers on the drawing, on the pattern. But when I've finished it, I'm going to wash it to remove all the pencil lines, all the pattern lines, and then I'm going to tea dye it. One tea bag per cup of hot water. I'm going to soak the embroidery in the tea solution, maybe for 20 minutes, half an hour. Then I'm going to rinse it under cold water, dry my embroidery, iron it, and then I'm going to frame it. I've done this a number of times with other red work embroideries. It's very simple, but very effective. It is so simple that little children can do red work. All my girls have done red work embroideries from the time they have been about five. Once they were able to do a back stitch, then they were ready for red work. We've all done a number of them. Most of them we've given away as gifts for birthdays and Christmases. There is a blog post on my unschooling blog about red work. There are some photos of some of the embroideries that we have done. I think they look quite good, considering how simple they are. So this might be a project that your children might like to do. Or maybe you as well. You could get one of your children to read out loud to you, and you could sit back and do some embroidery. I think children like to be in the reader's seat. I was sitting with Gemma Rose and we were holding the book between us. But I think that she is enjoying having control of the book completely to herself a lot more. I'm not looking over her shoulder. She knows that she has to read every word so that I can understand the story. I trust that she will read it well, and she does. Besides reading Emma out loud, we're also watching a production of Emma. It's the BBC four-part series from, I think, 2009, which stars Romola Garay as Emma. And it is good.
looking at my notes, I think that I have talked about everything on my list. I will put together some show notes, a link to that lovely, delicious chocolate tart, which is gluten-free, dairy-free, and can be sugar-free, a link to the DVDs, The Hollow Crown, and Emma. I will go back through the podcast and add any information and links that I have spoken about today. I'm guessing the girls have finished their writer's circle meeting, so it's probably time for me to turn off my mic and go and see what everybody else is doing. So I'm going to thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you have a wonderful unschooling week. I'd like to invite you to stop by my blog and my Facebook page, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I would also appreciate you considering to write a review of this podcast for iTunes or sharing the links on social media. That's, of course, if you have social media. So until next time, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Unconditionally.